I recently conducted a market survey with aspiring writers as well as self-published authors to see where the biggest points of frustration exist, and the biggest one was book sales. Whether you traditionally publish with a literary agent sending a nice fat check up front, or you self-publish and reap the benefits of no middleman sucking up your revenue, both focus on one main thing to make the money happen, selling your books. You're listening to The Writer's Workshop, a weekly podcast about writing, publishing, and the art of storytelling. I'm Nikki Aberkett, book editor, writer, and cultural anthropologist. Hey everyone, this is Nikki Aberkett, and today we are going to talk about the three biggest mistakes self-published authors make that have a direct and really negative impact on book sales. If you are self-publishing, you are technically your own boss in this case. Uh, I talked to another author the other day about the potential difference in traditional publishing and self-publishing. In traditional publishing, you're kind of like an employee where you do the work and someone pays you a check. When you're self-publishing, you're kind of like being self-employed. You do the work, you put out the product, you do the marketing, and you know you also get a higher revenue overall. Here's the thing, though. A big, big, significant part of that is the product. When you self-publish, your book, your story itself is the product. And good product has good sales. Bad product may have good sales for a bit, but then the reputation spreads. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and, you know, and today, you know, given the higher royalties available with self-publishing and the technological advancements of the current decade, making it easier and easier for writers to self-publish and market with minimal overhead, it does make sense that this has become one of the most popular routes for people to transform from writer to author. But again, it comes back down to having that good product, that good, solid, sellable book. And with this, I don't know if you call it dawn or just surge of self-publishing, it's also inspired a lot of corner cutting and subsequent frustrations when the sales stagnate. So why does this happen? How can a really talented writer publish a, a book, a self-publish a book, and it doesn't sell. Or it might sell a few copies and no more. What causes bad reviews? You know, all these questions, really all these fears that float around, part of it comes down to good versus bad advice. I will be honest, I see some floating around there on the internets. Um, But it also comes down to a really an even combination of good product and good marketing. First mistake that I see probably more often than any other, is I can't afford to hire an editor. Okay, I get it. Logistically, this might be true. You know, your bank account may not currently have hundreds or thousands of dollars available for a professional editor. And developmental editing is expensive. I'm not going to lie. It is probably the priciest editing out there. It is also one of the most crucial. (laughs) And when it comes to this belief or, or really this phrase, I can't afford to hire an editor. Ooh, that, that is, that is a gamble you do not want to take, especially when you're banking on your book to make you money. 
here's the thing, you know, if you want to publish your book and make the sales, the kind that at least substantially supplements your main income, if not replaces it entirely as a full-time author, you have to ensure the product you're selling is high quality. You have to. Books depend on reviews. Even if you self-publish and only five people buy your book, when those five people read it and are thrilled or impressed or excited or all the above about it, they're going to talk about it. They're going to tell their friends who also want to read the book. Bookstagram is a real thing. Book talk. You know, book reviews on TikTok are so powerful that Barnes & Noble has an entire table dedicated to as seen on book talk. Word of mouth is extremely powerful and it can be your best friend or your worst enemy depending on how much you're willing to invest in the editing process in both time and money. And that's what we're talking about. You know, if you want to have any sort of sales generated for your book, you can't afford not to hire an editor. They'll probably one of the most biggest and most expensive mistakes anybody can make is skipping the editor. The recommendations and the reviews are your lifelines in marketing your book. So you want and need to make sure they see the best version. I will make an aside. Let's say you're listening to this. You're thinking, well, maybe then I want to go traditional publishing. They give me the editor there. They do. You still have to have a really good manuscript going in. You know, <laughs> you still want something solid. And they look at this. Is it marketable? Is it a good first draft? The better it is, the cleaner it looks, the more impressed the agent is, the more likely it is that you'll get traditionally published. For this reason, I encourage everybody, whether you want to self-publish or traditionally publish, submit it to me for a complimentary novel overview or, or invest in the novel assessment, whichever one works best for you, and get it looked at, you know, get a solid editor's opinion on this. At least you'll know going into traditional publishing, you've got something solid. And you also know if you're doing self-publishing, what to work on. Now, the kind of readers that you want who get excited about literature and spread the word about great books that they've read all over social media are also the kind of readers who pick up on errors immediately and they're not afraid to leave scathing reviews. I have seen this as well. And it's painful to watch. <laughs> um, I even personally recently saw a very well-known book influencer. She's got thousands of followers. She gave her honest opinion about a book series. It's actually quite popular in cer certain circles. And it was not good. She, she literally held the book series up and goes, this is boring as heck. Why? How are people fans of this? Now, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. But let's be honest, influencers are called influencers for a reason, the influence opinion. And as can be expected on platforms like Instagram, viewers were quick to give their own opinions of the series and all of them agreed with her, even if they hadn't read it. Talk about, ouch, I'm serious, I saw this. This is just one example of so many times I see this happen. I'll give an, a really popular one where this happened constantly is Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, that one just, <laughs> I read the series. And so when I get a my soapbox about that, you can ask my friends, I do. It's not me defending the books at all. What makes me get on my soapbox is when people give reviews of the books and it's so obvious that they've never read it. 
I've seen more people give inaccurate reviews about a book series they've never read <laughs> than people actually give honest reviews had they read it. This happens with more than just Fifty Shades. You know, this happens with a lot of books. You don't want it to happen to yours unless they're good. <laughs> you know, you want good things to happen. But if you don't invest in editing and you, you know, work with your editor, figure out what you need to make that payment work. But if you refuse to invest or you just kind of discount it because you can't at this moment, mm, that, that, is a, that is a very strong risk you're taking. Honestly, it's better to just, just bite the bullet now so you don't have to later and consult, at least consult with an editor or two about your needs and options that are available. Sometimes a first draft doesn't actually need a full developmental edit, just a few tweaks here and there that a novel assessment will pick up right away, and it's going to save you both time and money. I have personally read a first draft of a book that, no, I, I sent it back to the author and said, no, actually, this is fantastic. You probably could just go ahead and skip right ahead to the line editing. This, this is totally fine. Everything was cohesive. Everything was consistent. There really wasn't much I could do as a developmental editor for them at that stage. That's great. It's also extremely rare. It is extremely rare. Most of the time, your first draft will need a full developmental edit. And when you invest in this, you're investing in your book's success and ultimately your career and reputation as an author. Invest. Again, this is kind of like running your own business. Can you start a business from the ground up without investing any money at all whatsoever? Yes, technically anything could happen. Should you? No. You still need to invest in an email. You still need to invest in a web address. You still need to invest in a platform. You'll probably end up investing in Facebook ads. You know, whatever you need to do, you're still going to invest. So invest wisely in your book. This brings me into the second big mistake that I... I, it's a mistake I see authors do, writers do, and I, it's, it's really bad advice I saw being given even this morning before I recorded this. Relying on self-editing to avoid the cost of editing. I have seen people recommend books on self-editing as a replacement. Don't do that. It's not a replacement. And I, and I know this may sound redundant, but it, it's a whole other thing that happens too often in the self-publishing world. And there are plenty of fantastic books and courses on self-editing out there to help writers improve their drafts. And don't get me wrong, this is a great skill to have. Like, definitely learn it. Get that skill under your belt. Invest a little time and money into developing this because it will help you create a better first draft every time you write a new book. Hone in that skill. Do it. Go for it. Don't use it as a replacement for professional editing. That is where everything starts to crumble and that house of cards just falls down. The reason is actually, it's actually kind of cool. It's way more sciencey than you might expect. It's all about how the brain processes images from your eyeballs. The more frequently your eyes see an object in the same place, like let's say a cup on the counter or a letter on the screen, the more it uses that information that you've gathered to fill in the blanks next time you look in that direction. Now, here's the crazy part. The same exact thing happens when the item isn't there. This is called a scotoma. And I'll spell it out for you in case you want to Google it. S-C-O-T-O-M-A. 
And this is typically the primary reason why you can never find your car keys or a typo in your manuscript. When your brain is used to something not being there, it will initially tell you that there's nothing there to catch your attention. Again, going back to the car keys, I was the worst with this. Keys that weren't on the counter the last 20 times you looked over there won't immediately register as being there when you look for them. It's not that they're invisible, it's just at a quick glance, your brain just does not register them being there. Likewise, this happens in writing. Errors that look glaringly obvious to fresh eyes often go unnoticed to the writer who's read those same pages over and over and over again. And this is the exact same reason why I'm also a big proponent of editors working together. Let's say, for example, you come to me, we do a full package, and I am so happy to do the developmental edit and so happy to proofread the copy, maybe even copy it at the digital side. I'm still going to want you to have somebody else do a line edit or maybe even have somebody else do the copy edit and you just send me the proof um, as part of, of the package. The reason being is even my eyeballs are going to start translating information that's not there because of scotomas. And that's something that I just don't want to have happen to your manuscript. So yeah, I am a big, big supporter of working with other, other editors. I think every solid, good manuscript has at least two that look at it, if not three. It's nothing wrong with you. It's nothing wrong with me. It's just a cool at times, annoying at other features of the human brain. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Several self-published authors who relied on self-editing have publicly expressed their deep regrets over this decision. And one even mentioned to me how <laughs> they decided to no longer invest in a developmental editor and they decided to self-edit. And while their first book that they published with an editor was great, it was just a marketing issue. The second book they published when they did the self-edit, they did not get good reviews. And the comments and reviews pointed out the obvious lack of professional editing quote, end quote. And that hurt their overall sales. There are several others with similar quotes from similar types of reviews. The audience, the readers can tell when there has been no professional editing done on the manuscript. Do self-edit to clean it up for your own sake. Do not self-edit as a replacement for investing in an editor. All right, <laughs> I'm going to shift my soapbox to that just a little bit there. Um, nothing ran it back. Here's one. Okay, here's another one I saw just this morning and it just, mm, I had to walk away. <laughs> Replacing editor with beta readers. What? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound irate or annoyed, it's because I am. I, I would legitimately saw this advice this morning. Someone wrote on Facebook to question someone had, how do you know what the next best stage for your manuscript is? And I have a whole blog, blog article on that, actually. I thought I should have just posted the link. Um, but no, someone's immediate response was, oh, just hire some better re beta readers. They're going to uh, find the errors and it's free. So they'll save you a lot of money and you may find out you don't need an editor. What? No, 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 no. There's so much wrong with that statement. <laughs> and let's walk through it. Now, let me preface this by saying, and let me, let me step away from my ire by saying, beta readers are very valuable. 
Beta readers are definitely a valid resource for writers everywhere who want to ensure their book is marketable. And that's it. That is their purpose. Beta readers are not editors, and they're typically not being paid to read. So for anyone to count on beta readers to do the job of an editor is taking a massive, massive gamble on the success of your book. And gambling with your work, like I mentioned before, especially when you're seeking to make a profit from it, is never, ever a wise decision. Now, I've seen beta reading to be suggested at two different stages of the publishing process. Some insist on having a reader or readers take a look prior to developmental editing to catch any obvious errors so the editor can focus more on the meat of the manuscript. It's not a terrible idea. I gotta admit that. And if your gut says that's the way to go, then go for it. However, there, there, is, there is some risk with this. Beta readers are not always guaranteed to be the nicest people on the planet. They're really not. Because they're not getting paid. They don't have to be professional. They can read your work and they'll, I would say Gordon Ramsay that out. You know, like, <laughs> they'll read your book and they'll be bluntly honest. And they can be because they're not getting paid. They've got nothing on the line for being professional. There's, there's no actual job for this. It's, it's a hobby, really. So if you're in this space mentally and emotionally where you're worried about rejection um, and you're feeling like you really need all the support you can get going off, you know, stepping forward and putting your work out there and you feel like maybe you honestly feel like someone rejecting your hard work with their own personal opinion will derail you from proceeding further, then in this case, it is definitely best to hold off on beta reading until after the editing and revising. There is nothing wrong with being so deeply affected by rejection. Let me tell you right off. If you feel like you can't handle that, then don't, don't beta read before you get edited. Send it to an editor. Send it to someone like me. I'm super nice. Even when I've, I, I've, okay, I've read some manuscripts. I mean, even when I've seen some interesting submissions, I'm always super nice. I will always find something good that's going on in there because no one ever actually wholly writes complete garbage okay there's something in the chaos happening that I will find good to talk about beta readers are not guaranteed to do this so if you, if you need that encouragement but also the honesty just get an assessment done or get an overview done have a nice honest editor take a look and let them guide you through what needs to be done. Now, here's my personal advice and opinion, and it's actually backed up by the publishing industry, both self and traditional. Save the beta rating for after the editing and revising. Due to beta rating being excellent for gauging marketability, they will be able to thoroughly enjoy, and hopefully it's your final draft, You know, but that's what they do. They read the bound and printed copy, which is called the proof, that has the working title and the cover and the beta reader at that point can give you a much more holistic opinion on everything. They're going to read the book as if it's already published because it, they're holding it in their hands. They're going to tell you what they think about the cover. They're going to tell you what they think about the title. They're going to tell you what they think about how it reads page to page. Beta reading in its truest form is this. It's the dead last stage of the publishing process 
right before you click that button publish. <laughs> you know, it's, it's between proofreading and actually publishing, beta reading. Now here's a great example. I happen to have a proof copy of, of uh, Shatter Me by the New York Times bestselling author Tahere Mafi. Oh my gosh, I feel like I just slaughtered her name. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, but most of you may actually be familiar with Shatter Me. It was in itself a New York Times bestseller and it published in 2011, I believe. Um, I have, happen to have a proof copy. Now, if you go to my blog, there's an actual picture. I took a picture of the inside of the front cover. So all that front matter. There's a lot of front matter in there, way more than a typical book. It contains notes from the editorial director um, with their own kind of promo of how awesome they think the story is, or at least in this case. Um, <laughs> Tara thought it was amazing, which and it was. Um, but there's also information on the marketing strategy, contact information, including where to submit reviews. And it clearly identifies this particular print as a proof copy. It literally says this is an advanced reading copy made from uncorrected proofs. A beta reader would have received something like this. And after all the editing and revising had been completed and then provided the publishing house, in this case, it was HarperCollins, with comments, opinions, suggestions, and an overall review of the book as a whole. Basically, your beta readers are kind of like the screening audience of a film that has not yet hit theaters. I hope that makes sense. Now, in this case with Shatter Me, one significant change that did actually occur after the beta reading, or in this case, they'd be like the reviewer reading, um, basically the screening. After this stage, the cover design changed. And it was honestly the first thing I noticed as a weak spot for the book before I even read it. It didn't accurately portray anything to do with the plot at all. It's actually quite misleading. It kind of made it look cheap. I'm just being honest. Obviously, somebody else agreed because they changed it to something that makes the book look richer. It looks the new cover. Also, I kind of questioned the eyeball, but you know, I read the book. It kind of makes sense. You know, you're like, oh, okay, there we go. But the new cover came out of... If I understand the timeline process of this particular one, it came out of the feedback from the beta readers of the proof copy, one of which I, I now own. Um, so in summation on this, do use beta readers, but don't use them until after you've done everything else. I should probably also make a whole um, a podcast on when to listen to advice on Facebook and when not to listen to advice on Facebook. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that being said, anytime anybody, even an editor, because I've seen this from editors too, if an editor says, use a beta reader first, that should be a red flag. It really should, because that means they don't actually know what a beta reader does. Because a beta reader's place in the publishing process is dead last. But again, if you really want somebody to just take a look at it and they're free and you just want some validation before you send it in to an editor, um, I mean, nobody's going to stop you and that's you. And, and again, they're free, so why not? <laughs> it's just if you really want to invest your time into having it really looked at, do it last. You know, get the full package deal, the cover review 
the tagline reviews, the book blurbs, you know, everything, front matter, back matter, have them actually read it as a whole and get those honest things. So let's let's review because oh, we went over quite a lot and Nikki got on her soapbox a little bit. <laughs> um, but really looking at what what should you do? What can you do to increase your book sales? Numero uno, invest in an editor. A good editor is going to be nice. They're going to be professional. They're going to be honest, but they're also going to work with you. I will let you know right up front, a developmental editor is probably your most valuable editor and also the most expensive. We're talking quadruple digits most of the time. Does that necessarily mean you have to have it all up front ready to go? Oh, it's preferred. Absolutely. I would much rather prefer to get it all front, just being honest, wouldn't you? But look, I'm an editor who recognizes the importance in you having a good book to read, a solid bestseller. So payment plans are obviously an option. Talk to your editor. Find one who's going to work with you. Find one who is happy with payment plans. Find one who puts the quality of your work before, <laughs> really before anything else, you know, and also make sure they know their stuff too. If they're advising people to use better readers first, yeah, red flag. Um, but yeah, just invest in an editor. And if, and if you're worried about an editor, invest in a novel assessment. That's when the, the uh, editor will read the whole book, but they're not going to do any editing. They're just going to read the manuscript as it is for what it is. And then they'll give you a, a report. It's basically like a four-page book report. They're going to let you know what they think you need. And like I said, sometimes it might be, hey, you know what? you're ready to go. Skip me and go on to a proof or a copy editor or line editor. Let's do line editor. Um, maybe they'll read it. And, and, and this is something I've had to say more often than not. Solid story. I see what you're getting at. I see what you're going. We need to work on the structure. That That's fair. You know, and, and if and if the novel assessment pulls that out, you're pretty much guaranteed without do, using an editor, that is something you refuse would say. You just don't want that, you know? And then, and then so the other thing goes back to the self-editing. Do self-edit. I mean, really do it. It's a great skill to have. Just don't rely on it. Again, this goes back to like, well, what if I can't afford an editor? Find one who's going to work with you. Another great thing that you can do to increase book sales is have your book cover professionally done by somebody who makes book covers that look like they're expensive. If you don't know what I mean, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at Nikki Auberkin. Maybe you do know what I mean. Um, I'll give some examples of ones that are, would technically be pretty easy for anybody to throw together. The original covers for Twilight. The original covers for Fifty Shades of Grey. You notice the theme here. Black cover, one or two objects in the front, title. Black is clean. You know, it, it, it's really sleek. It draws attention. You'll see a lot of young adult uh, novels use, or, or do something similar. Solid dark blue, one or two objects in the front, etc, etc. The more complicated a book cover is, the riskier it is. There, obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. I, I remember the original cover for the Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, um, and then eventually Americanized to Sorcerer's Stone. That was a very intricately designed cover. There was a lot happening up there, but it was cool. We were kids. It's kind of like playing I Spy. 
it, it worked for the audience. I've also seen other ones that are so complicated, they very, very look much looked DIY. You don't want that. People do judge your book by its cover. We always have that saying, don't judge a book by its cover. That's exactly how we judge books. Let's be honest. <laughs> First thing we look at is, how self-published does this look? Because a poor cover gives the impression of really bad writing. It is not always accurate. I've seen some excellent covers and that it contains some terribly written books, just being fair. I also own and have read some interesting book covers that look kind of cheap that contain phenomenal books that absolutely should be bestsellers. You know, why aren't they bestsellers right now? Probably because of the cover, just gonna be honest. <laughs> so that's something that you could definitely look into. Cover designers are not that expensive. And if you need a referral to someone who does phenomenal work, I mean, it's just art. And there are some really good examples of, of work he's done that you can look through. Um, again, hit me up on Instagram, DM me at Nikki Auberkit. I will hook you up to a fantastic book cover designer. He's so picky. And again, he's got a great portfolio. You would not know that these were self-published. They stand up against anything else coming out of the big five. It's phenomenal. Book reviews. Get book reviews. But again, have something great that is deserving of good book reviews. I caution against paying for any book reviews right off the bat. It's, I have yet to develop a full opinion on that, but much like I wouldn't invest in getting Instagram likes or followers, I haven't been able to find myself advising people to invest in buying book reviews. I think honestly, your beta readers are a better resource for that. Get honest reviews from them. Ask for a pay, ask for like releases or something. And if they could write you a good book review, if they genuinely loved it, and if they didn't, you know, don't publish it. <laughs> you know, like don't publish the review. Um, just enough to kind of get your Amazon going. However, that works. Um, I know it sounds really like, what do you mean? However, that works. Aren't you an editor? Yes, the developmental side. <laughs> um, but no, really, I like I said. You know, and honestly, you'll feel better. The more organic book reviews you have, the better you'll feel. It, it, it feels less skeevy. There are fantastic book review companies out there that are reputable and wonderful. And if you feel com comfortable and confident using them, go for it. I'm not stopping you. I won't even try to stop you. I actually encourage if you really do genuinely feel confident in something, go for it. Me personally, I'm just uh, still on the fence about it. I'll be honest, I'm still on the fence about it. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, honestly, it really does start with having a great story to tell. And your developmental editor is absolutely going to be able to help you really cultivate it. Like my tagline says, I help people turn good stories into bestsellers. I really do. It doesn't mean I am your marketing agent, <laughs> but it does mean that you know, maybe you, you do end up having that book that someone reads and, and asks, so why isn't this a New, Time, New York Times bestseller? This should be. And they get on Instagram and they go, hey, I've been reading this. You should all too. And a bunch of other people go, what? That looks awesome. And the next thing you know, you're the next biggest success since Fifty Shades of Grey. And I know I referenced that book a lot, but here's the thing, y'all. It was self-published and it sold on Amazon for 99 cents. Let that sink in for a hot second. A self 
published a book that started as Twilight fan fiction and sold for 99 cents on Amazon Kindle. Sold millions of copies, became a, became a bestseller, also became a movie series. Movie rights became involved. High-end actors involved. Well, higher-end actors. Jamie Dornan, Once Upon a Time fans, we love him. Um, you know, like, all these things happen. Like, holy cow. Started with a self-published, honestly, self-published fan fiction. If that can happen, anything can happen. How did it happen? Well, it, it did have a really good book cover, just going to be honest. And love the story, hate the story, it was edited, and you can tell it was edited. You know, you can tell time and money was invested in making it a solid book. Opinions aside, you look at the technicalities, what are the things that make that happen? There are some of those, you know, you can tell it was edited, you can tell the developmental editing definitely happened. It is a cohesive storyline. It all flows book to book. The covers are clean and look professional. And, you know, some people think if you sell for 99 cents, you'd be a higher and, you know, higher probability of selling. I don't know how I feel about that. I'll get back to you later. <laughs> well, this has definitely been a fun one after I, you know, stopped yelling at people. And I look forward to talking with you more about different ways to really help you cultivate that phenomenal bestseller. You've got one in you. You have a bestselling book in you. It's just about piecing it together and putting out your best version of it. You've been listening to The Writer's Workshop. If you want to learn more about developing your craft or you're ready for an editor to take a look at your manuscript, head on over to NikkiAuberkit.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram as well for more tips, tricks, and inspiration. And as always, keep on writing.